Welcome to Uncovered Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Bowers, and as always, I'm with my boys, Brian Bradley and Andre Bradley. And today we are joined by an awesome guest in the part two of our mental health series. And would you like to introduce yourself? I'm Maureen Kortz. I'm a clinical social worker um, with a small private practice, um, working with a variety of uh, wonderful clients. For everyone that's just now tuning in, maybe you missed the episode that we released on Friday. We are doing two parts to our mental health series in, I don't want to say celebration, but in support of the UK, because we have a good portion of our listeners from the UK in support of their mental health awareness week. So what we did is we had one conversation where we really got the first hand side of trying to battle your mental health. And the other side of it is now we're going to go look at at, from the professional standpoint, especially the professional standpoint as of right now, because, you know, times are kind of weird with, with COVID and everything. So we're very excited and just want to thank Maureen for coming on and hopefully we have a great conversation. You're welcome. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah, for sure. Um, real quick, I guess we'll start it off with this. Is there a background on maybe how you decided to get into, because I know that you're a clinical social worker and what, what really made you decide to get into that? Well, um, I wish I had a great, um, a great story. I, um, I didn't really know what I wanted to be when I grew up, but I knew that I wanted to do something with kids and families. Um, that was what I always had an interest in. Even from high school, I took child development and child care when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. Um, and I thought maybe education or owning a daycare or something along those lines. And I, when I was um, in undergrad, I took, um, you know, just the general ed classes and trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And the class that really spoke to me was human growth and development. And I really enjoyed learning about the stages of development and um, just studying human beings. And so I, um, just, you know, decided to pursue the, the topics that I enjoyed, which was psychology. And I also majored in um, something called individual and family studies. So I, you know, the vast majority of my um, college career was spent taking uh, classes on, on human beings. And, um, and, and I learned about social work um, from, um, I had an opportunity to work just as kind of an office girl um, when I was in uh, in between undergrad and grad school. And mm -hmm. I learned about the um, the, the master's in social work uh, program and um, decided to go that route instead of psychology. And um, just because it was less uh less schooling, less debt, mm -hmm. um, yeah, for sure. and a, a pretty marketable degree in terms of being able to do what I wanted to do. So it just at some point in my career or my, um, you know, during my education, I realized that I wanted to be a therapist. Mm -hmm. And so that's the direction that I, uh, that I pursued with my master's in social work. That's awesome. It sounds like you really enjoy it too. I do. I really um, I feel like it's the best job I could ask for, and um, every day is interesting. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I can only imagine. Um, for all of our listeners, the reason that we had Maureen come on was because she currently works with a demographic that's perfect for us. So everyone that's tuned in now, 
I want to say this first, actually. Take everything that we talk about with a grain of salt, right? Because everyone's story is different. You know, this isn't, you know, this isn't just like one set, one session and one therapy session for everyone. Um, so I think that's very important to say that. But now we can dive into it. Mental health. In your experience as a professional, has it become more alarming or have you seen kind of a steady amount of mental health issues? I I would say that, that there's definitely um, an increase in the need for mental health services. Mm-hmm. Um, I live in a town where there's um, a university. There are people coming out of school with degrees every year. There is an abundance of um, mental health professionals and everybody is, if they've been in the business for any length of time, everybody is kind of packed um, in terms of their schedules. Um, so it's it's like people uh, first open up their practice and their um, you know, it takes a while to build up a practice and, and then pretty soon um, you find yourself having to turn people away because there aren't enough hours in the day. So there's definitely, I think there's an increase in, in the need and there's also an increase in the acceptance. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I think getting help and seeing a therapist has less stigma associated with it, So, uh, which is a very good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it leaves... Um, us professionals very busy. Yeah, actually on that topic, um, one thing that we mentioned in the previous part was, you know, especially with athletes right now, it's huge. The, you know, like, like you just said, the acceptance and it's really no longer what I said in the thing was kind of like a juju where it's something you just don't talk about. You know, it's, it's very open now. And I like that the fact that it's progressing, I don't know why anyone wouldn't like the fact that it's progressing forward in, in that sense. So let me ask you this, because this is something else that we talked about. What do you think, in your opinion, is the leading reason for for medical services being needed more? Well, I, um, I'm going to give a little bit of information about something that is that that I'm pretty passionate about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got. Um, into, you know, I, I, I said I always had an interest in working with kids and families. Um, and parenting has been a big, um, um, you know, question in my mind. Um, like, how do we raise kids that are going to be resilient and, and um, ready to face the world? And, and I think that that there has been kind of a, a swing into some parenting um, some pressure that, that mm-hmm. parents have been under to overparent in a way that causes their kids to lack confidence and experience and to have a lot of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm 52 years old. I'm, you know, a different generation um, from the, you know, the, the young adults, um, I was raised pretty differently. And, um, you know, my parents made a lot of mistakes. They really didn't know a whole lot. Um, uh, inter- there, you know, there weren't parenting books back then. Mm-hmm. There were not, um, 
you know, there there really was no pressure. As long as they um, kept us alive, they were succeeding, <laughs> and um, and and then there began to be a whole lot of pressure about what good parenting was about and and what experiences kids should have and and you know how to parent without being um, punitive and and so there's there was kind of this pendulum swing um, from you know just keep your kid alive to um, provide this hugely enriching environment and meet all of your kids' needs mm-hmm. and I think that that has had a negative effect on a lot of people in terms of um, feeling confident and having experiences that help them to to navigate adulthood. You know, I think that that's one thing. I think that technology um, has also contributed to a lot of people feeling isolated. Um, I think that a lot of there's there's it's sort of like the rat race, you know, before we had this technology that allowed you to be in, you know, to, to take work emails at home and to have just this mm-hmm. constant, um, the constant pressure to, to get stuff done while also at the same time having 24-hour access to um, technology that also distracts you, I, I think that that mm-hmm. also contributes. Yeah. So in your to, or towards your comment of the pendulum swinging, do you think that that also adds pressure not only on the kids? I think that I completely agree with that. Do you think that it also adds pressure to the parents? As far as um, trying to create that enriching oh, environment. Absolutely. My, you know, like I said, my, my, my parents had almost no pressure. Um, and yeah, then yeah. today's parents have, you know, just uh, there's, there's just the wars between the, you know, do you stay home with your kids? Do you work? Do you mm-hmm. breastfeed? Do you bottle feed? Do you allow your kids to have technology? Do you make your own baby food? Do you, you know, and, and with, we have the ability to see right into people's homes um, with with Instagram and Facebook to know what the, you know, sort of what the beautiful people are doing to create these mm-hmm. amazing environments. And I think a lot of people feel lousy about like real life, like how it, how it really, really looks. Right. Uh, just to build off, off of that, uh, I guess like what's your biggest tip to like parents uh, when they come to you expressing their concerns with their children regarding uh, like they're not meeting their children's needs or something? Um, it, it, as far as if parents who are feeling like they're not doing good enough, um, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's something that I really try to help people to, to, you know, to feel, um, you know, to take the pressure off of themselves. But I also, really encourage people to um, look to some experts for parenting advice Um, because, you know, oftentimes we parent very emotionally and we sometimes do take the path of least resistance. And that is usually not the most effective way to parent. So, um, so I encourage parents to, to look 
to some experts. I recommend some books in particular that I have, um, you know, a strong belief in. Um, but but also to to parent for the future, not just in the moment. And and I think the the best piece of advice that I give to parents is if the real world won't tolerate the behavior, your home shouldn't either. If okay. your child is treating you disrespectfully and you wouldn't want them to treat their teachers that way, don't tolerate it at home. If you wouldn't want your child to talk to their friends or their boss or whatever in the same way, home is where we develop good habits that then they take into the real world. And so a lot of, a lot of the struggle I think comes from, from kids whose parents have too low of expectations in some ways. Um, And then, and they, and then they they go into other um, places, you know, schools, the workforce, et cetera, and and they're not used to being held to some acceptable age appropriate standards because right. it wasn't done at home. And just like looking forward, if they're not held to those standards, um, do you think that's where those mental health issues come in uh, as that kid grows up? I do. I, um, you know, I'll, I'll just give you an example that, that, um, a lot of parents feel like school is the, their kid's job and that they don't want to put additional pressure on their kids to have a, a paid job. They want their kids to focus on school and kids who have, extra time on their hands that their parents allow them to have don't generally put more effort into schoolwork. Um, they put more effort into leisure activities. And so, um, and, and at the same time, they miss out on really good skill development. They, they miss out on opportunities to work with people, work with, um, interact with people of different ages and, and, you know, people that may not go to their school. And so there are so many benefits to work that, you know, beyond just the paycheck that when parents, um, don't have that expectation of their kids that they, you know, they're not expected to, to, to go to work. They're actually being robbed of, um, of confidence building activities, skill building activities. And then when they graduate from high school and now need a summer job before they go to college, they don't have experience. They don't have, um, you know, something to, and, and, and also they look at their peers who do have jobs and they feel inferior to, to their peers because those people are further ahead than I am. Right. So um, during this whole pandemic, has this made your job more difficult or is it about the same when it comes to assisting these parents and kids with the questions that they have? Well, that's a great question. I am really, really fortunate that there has already been um, what they call teletherapy. Um, their teletherapy, um, you know, video sessions were, I don't know how long they, they sort of became a thing, but um, I, I never really saw a need for it in my practice. I, for the most part, I see people who don't have problems getting to my office. Um, 
I uh, just I thought that that was sort of a niche kind of a thing, and um, you know that other other therapists are offering. I didn't see the need for it, and yeah. when the um, restrictions, you know, it, it's, it felt like it came really fast. It came on all of a sudden and, um, that people were being encouraged to not, uh, you know, have face-to-face contact with people. And so this, this, you know, I felt very fortunate that teletherapy was already in place, that there were, that there were platforms to, um, very easily subscribe to, to be able to offer, um, HIPAA compliant, very private and safe, um, uh, therapy sessions. Um, so my, the first couple weeks when Michigan went into somewhat of a lockdown, I did have, um, a much more open schedule. There were a number, number of people who, um, canceled, even though I was offering them the option of, uh, of teletherapy. Um, and then when it, when we realized that this was going to be longer than just a couple weeks, um, almost all of my clients came back, um, and, and opened up their minds to, um, to teletherapy. And, you know, for the most part, it's working out really well. I'm, I'm able to, um, you know, see a, a, a full caseload of people. Um, I do, still go to my office because, um, I'm the only person there and I have good Wi-Fi there and I don't have my kids who are middle schoolers. I don't have to worry about them, um, you know, interrupting or overhearing anything. Uh, so I do go into my office, um, even though I'm seeing everybody on video sessions, but I'm very fortunate to be able to, to do that. And aside from a few technology glitches, um, it's working out really well. That's nice to hear. Are you going to stick with the uh, uh, video calls after the restrictions are lifted or go back to normal? I, I think it's going to be something that is a gradual, um, you know, it's a gradual thing. I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate that my office is very small. I don't work in a large office building with, with traffic. I'm at this point, I'm the only one there. Um, and so I feel like I can, gradually have people come in on, you know, perhaps a staggered schedule so that I have time in between each person to, um, you know, disinfect. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just having one person in the office at a time, um, versus having an open waiting room. Um, I, uh, I feel like I can do that somewhat safely eventually while also offering, um, you know, people who would prefer to stay home absolutely can. Okay. I, I, I would say that, you know, while it's a luxury to be able to offer telehealth sessions, I miss seeing people in, in my office. I miss the, you know, like the eye contact and the being able to, um, you know, see body language and, and, you know, it, it works, but it's definitely not my favorite way of, of providing my services. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you. To kind of like wrap back around when you were talking about the parents' stressors and pressures on the children, and then Brian asked, do you think that leads into mental health issues down the road? Do you think, or let me let me ask you this, for people that end up, because one thing that we talked about was it's sometimes coming on late for people, you know, very late in their life, like maybe mid-20s, 30s. I mean, it really can even go down even further than that. Do you think that those are still interconnected or is it mostly societal based at that point? 
In terms of what, what contributes to somebody developing a need for mental health services in their 20s or 30s? Yes. Um, that's, that's an interesting question. I, I think that the, the, the highest level of need for mental health services is in adolescence simply because adolescence is such a challenging period of time and mm -hmm. and you know not all parents are sensitive to what they're or have any idea what their adolescents are going through um i would i this is you know just my hypothesis that mm -hmm. if a person needs mental health services for the first time in their 20s or 30s, it's because they have the resources to get them for themselves. Um, okay. I, you know, my, um, I, I wish every adolescent had somebody outside of their family, somebody outside of their friend group to talk to. And sometimes people do. Sometimes people have a school counselor or a teacher or the parent of a friend or some other, you know, reasonable, good, um, solid influence over them. But um, mm -hmm. I just think it is so important for, for adolescents to be able to talk through the the difficult decisions that they're having to make and the um, the challenge, the social challenges, and there's so many things that they're trying to figure out. Um, so I would guess, and, you know, I'm sure that there are some exceptions, but that there, if there is a need at 20 or 30 or 40, that there was also a need, um, earlier. Okay. So for, in terms, because you said to reach out to either, you know, professional or someone that's outside of your friend or family group. For someone, and this is mostly talking about someone that's our age, around 25, 24. Uh -huh. Do you think that it, it holds value to reach out to someone within those groups too? To to friends and family to get... Um, I guess maybe, yeah, let me try to reword that. So do you think it holds value to reach out to your friends and family? For example, I had a friend that reached out to me one time. And, you know, it really helped him... Because my next words to him were, you know, okay, you know, let's talk about this. Let's, let's literally discuss your feelings at this exact moment. Mm -hmm. But I understood that I have no professional experience. So then my next steps were to, okay, I'm going, I want to help you find the professional experience. So then we walked through that and, you know, and then his family got involved and then they took it over. So like, do you think that there's value in, you know, bringing that up to the ones that are closest to you first? Or do you think people should just go straight to professional help? I don't think that it's realistic for people to go right from themselves to professional. Mm -hmm. I, I think that there's always going to be some, um, you know, y your friends are much more likely to know that you're struggling before a, pro before a professional would get involved. But mm -hmm. the, the concern that I have about, you know, peer to peer, um, um, advice isn't the right word, but when, when people, when, when, it, when a peer kind of try, tries to, to become, and, and this happens all the time, when a peer tries to become the, the person who's going to save this person, it is such, uh, it's like then their mental health is, is being challenged. Um, yeah. you know, I have, I have middle school age kids and, and they're, they're just on the cusp of getting into, um, 
difficult situations with their friends, their friends that are going to be, um, you know, experimenting with drugs and sex and cutting and, you know, all of the ways that kids experiment and cope. And Mm -hmm. while I want my kids to be able to be kind of a, a, a resource, I don't want them to be dragged down. And, and I have counseled a number of kids who are, are really trying to like save their friends. And, and I have to remind them that you're, you're, you know, it's, I kind of use this metaphor that you're in a pool of water and you're treading water trying to keep yourself afloat and if you try Mm -hmm. to take on somebody else when you're just treading water yourself it's going to be really difficult to to do that you need a somebody who's got more wisdom more resources that's kind of standing on the edge of the pool that's going to be able to help that person out um, because otherwise you could both go down uh, you know underneath the water yeah that totally makes sense for and let me see if i can try to if i can try to word this differently so for someone that is, they've just realized that they really would like to seek help, what is that first step? What, what do you think they should do? Is it, you know, is it try to go through someone through referral or is it try to find that person themselves so that they can have a more, you know, personal connection to that counselor? What, what, what would be your advice in that situation? Well, I think that where, you know, wherever it is that is in your, um, circle of resources is a good place to start. Mm-hmm. If you have friends okay. who see a therapist, you can get a recommendation. Um, you know, if I, I, I get a lot of word of mouth referrals. Um, sometimes it's mm-hmm. the parent of one of my clients that talks to another parent that links them up with me. If you're, you know, if you, if you work for a company that has uh, human resources, sometimes that's a good place. You, they have employee assistance programs that can link you with mental health services. If you go to a middle school or a high school, there's counselors that can link you with mental health services. Um, there are um, uh, helplines um, that can give you information about how to seek services. There's a lot of different ways. So it kind of, it's a difficult question to answer about every, Mm -hmm. you know, situation. Sometimes it's just going to who, who's kind of in your inner circle and seeing what resources they can direct you to. Um, If that doesn't pan out, if there isn't anything that, um, you know, that, that you're coming up with, there are, you know, I mean, the internet, you can, you can Google, there's, um, um, you know, you can Google um, therapists in my area and you will mm-hmm. have a huge list of, of people. Now that doesn't give you, um, you know, a, a recommendation from somebody that you trust, but it certainly there, you, you can look at the, uh, the bio, the, um, you know, each website typically has a, here's who I am and this is what I offer. And, you know, that is something that people can do somewhat independently. We like to say that we are the quote unquote podcast that asks the hard questions. So my hard question for you is I feel like there's, everyone always asks, you know, what exactly should you do? Like we just went over, but it's always kind of left this gray area of, okay, but should I not be doing this? What is the one thing that someone 
should not do in their in their look for professional help? Well, I tell people to give it the old college try, meaning give mm-hmm. some, you know, when you schedule an appointment, I think a your a relationship with a therapist is very important. You have to click. And there are millions of therapists out there with millions of different personalities and you know, I always feel really sad for people when they go to a therapist and they tell me that it was a bad experience. And they, you know, sometimes they have a bad experience because they're dragged by their parents. And so that puts a bad taste in their mouth. But but sometimes it's that they, they just get connected up with somebody that they don't click with. And so my, you know, what not to do is, number one, don't stick with somebody that, you know, if, if you haven't started to see um, or started to feel comfortable after three sessions, throw in the towel (laughs) and Mm -hmm. go back and look for somebody else. So A, don't stick with somebody that you don't feel like you're clicking with and B, don't think that that's the only person out there. Don't think that that's what therapy is. Go and mm-hmm. look for somebody else, somebody younger, somebody older, somebody, you know, that that we all have different personalities. Find somebody that you can relate to, somebody that you walk out feeling like you like. And, and um, you know, not every session you walk out feeling better, but most of the time you do. Sometimes talking about tough things makes you feel worse before you before you start to feel better. But, but most of the time people are going to walk out feeling lighter. They're going to feel like they've, you know, just talking can help you to sort things out. Um, Mm -hmm. So if you, if you're, if you've given it three sessions and you're not feeling like it's working, find somebody else. Okay. So one thing we talked about in the last one, this is the, my, I guess my final one now (laughs) is we talked about if you are having any thoughts or anything that you feel are negative in, in any form, do you think it's smart to write them down in front of you on a notepad or to record your thoughts and just kind of verbalize them into your phone so that you can then go back and see it from more of kind of like a third party standpoint? Is that, does that make sense? Well, I think that it's that both positive and negative. Um, mm-hmm. it, those are important things to, um, you know, whether it's journaling or whether it's, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a believer in collecting data and mm-hmm. we don't do this enough, but what I always, you know, I, I, what I wish that every person would do, um, myself included more often, but is to kind of look inward and rate my level of happiness right now. You know, zero being the most unhappy I've ever been, 10 being the happiest I've ever been. Figure out where I am right now. And, you know, so let's say I'm a five. Okay, so I and then want to run an experiment. I should um, uh, play a video game. And did my number go up? Did my number go down? Take a nap. Did my number go up? Did my number go down? Um, do something nice for somebody, somebody that I know, somebody that I don't know. Did my number go up? Did my number go down? Uh, do some exercise. Did my number go up? Did my number go down? Um, and so, and to collect that information, to give you an idea of what helps and what doesn't, and what can I bring Mm -hmm. more of in my life that will 
move my number from a lower number to a higher number? And what can I eliminate from my life that will take my number from a higher number to a lower number? Um, so to answer your question about writing your thoughts down, I think it's also to write down the times when you are feeling joyful, because sometimes um, we there's this metaphor that emotions are like waves. And when we're feeling you know, overwhelming sadness or overwhelming anger, it feels like it's over our head. We're never going to feel different than we do right now. Oh. I'm never going to um, feel better about this person. I'm never going to feel better about my life. And waves come in and they go out. And sometimes they take longer to, to go back out than, um, than other times. But sometimes we get, um, it, 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 they, th these emotions distort our view. And so sometimes people forget that I have been happy and I will be happy again. I have been, um, you know, I've been mad a million times in my life and I've gotten over my anger and I will get over this too. Um, so some, so I, I don't think it's a bad thing to write down negative thoughts that you have, but I think it's also really important to write down positive thoughts that you have too, so that you are remembering that your life has both. Yeah. I think that I really, really like that method. Actually, I've never heard of that, but I think that's really good because it forces you to step back and really assess your, your joys and just really everything. And it, it doesn't close it off to that one side, you know, the, the issues that you feel like you have to, it, it really brings to you the positives of life. I really like that method. So Thank you for telling me that. And, you, and it's so hard for people to tell what is helpful and what's harmful. There are a lot of people mm -hmm. that are engaging in uh, chronically, a lot of people that are engaging in behaviors that are not helping. Um, there, there are so many things that you can do behaviorally to reduce depression. It's not just talking to somebody, mm -hmm. but there are so many behavioral interventions that can be done to reduce depression, but people don't know what to do sometimes people don't have, have the motivation to do them and most of the time they don't believe that they will help and mm -hmm. and so when you actually run this experiment you collect the data you figure out what number you are and that and then you do one of those things um that that studies show will be helpful such as exercise um such as meditation um such as doing something nice for somebody else when you do one of those things and notice that you're level of joy or happiness went up that sometimes will help people to have an aha you know where they'll mm -hmm. something that they didn't think was going to make a difference actually did yeah and I think that that's a really nice experiment too because you don't have to feel like you are suffering from a mental health issue to do that you can do that at any point in your life and it really just helps you understand yourself more completely absolutely I really like that well that is the end of our podcast today. I would like to say a huge thank you to you. Um, this has been eye-opening. I know that I learned a lot from this process. I can only imagine that Andre and Brian did as well. Yeah, I learned a lot. Um, there's some stuff that I didn't, a lot of stuff that I didn't know actually, especially about that last uh, task you talked about of writing down positive and negative thoughts that can have a good outlook on like your day and week to see if there's any repeating factors and help you battle those. For sure. Well, thank you so much for the invitation. This is, um, this is, you know, certainly a, a, a 
joy for me because I get to talk about the thing that I'm, you know, the most passionate about. So it's been a pleasure. Well, thank you for coming on. Um, for everyone that's tuned in today, please, if you feel any need to reach out to professional help, um, there's always helplines available. As we mentioned, we'll keep those in our captions on these for you guys to check out. Um, yeah, other than that, this is Uncovered Podcast. Make sure to check us out on Instagram and TikTok at Uncovered Pod, Twitter at Uncovered Podcast. And one more thank you to Maureen. And other than that, that is Uncovered, and we are out. Have a good one. Thank you, guys. The heart is a blue. Shoots up through the stony ground. There's no room. If you feel the pressure, please reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. 1-800-273-8255.